First Church Charlotte. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence in this house here today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. We live as witnesses and testimonies of what you have done in our life. And so we simply ask that you would start the testimonial work that is a gift from heaven in all of us. Let it start right now in me. Let it start right now in every believer in this house. Let our lives testify of your presence. Let our lives testify of your promise. In Jesus' name we pray. We pray against every distraction. We pray against every successful grip of fear that the enemy makes in our hearts and lives. We pray against that fear. We celebrate your promise today. In Jesus' name. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are watching this online, we're honored to have you. Uh, we want God's rich blessing for all of you. We have been going through the life of Joseph. We're going to continue that today. But before I dive off into that, uh, I want to remind you of uh, health fair that is happening here on the church grounds. 1021, is that correct? 1021. It will be between 11 and 4. We have been so honored by one of the uh, physician communities uh, networks here in Charlotte uh, saw what we were doing through one of their members here with the backpack drive and asked if they could perhaps do a health fair here. They have access to all the big trucks with scanners and tests and all that kind of stuff. The only thing I can test for is a bad attitude. Uh, but the Lord has given me a great bad attitude testing ability. No. <laughs> uh, so it will be 1021, 11 to 4. If you would be willing to work that event and represent our church to the larger community, I need you to coordinate with Pastor Don. Wave your hand, Pastor Don. Um, even if you just stand in a prayer tent, uh, even if you just help with the crowd, even if you just welcome people as they come in, uh, we prayed that the Lord would make us more visible to this community, and we told the Lord in prayer that if you would give us the opportunity, we will throw our hearts at the community. This is your opportunity to do that, and I will be here, and I would love to have all of you who are comfortable in that venue to do so. It is 1021, 11 to 4, and there will be all kind of uh, hospital trucks and cool uh, uh, million dollar equipment that I know nothing about and it'll all be here anyway. So I'm just going to name it and claim it in Jesus name. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> We're in lesson two of a coat of many colors and we see Joseph uh, now in Potiphar's household and we have to see something unique about his spiritual becoming. He is not ready to do for God just yet what God has promised and empowered him to do, there is still a preparatory season in his life. I will confess to you in all honesty, I'm not excited about the wait before the promise. I do not like delay. I want it all now and I want to be good enough to carry it with discipline and selflessness. 
but the Lord knows me better than I know myself. And I'm not ready for a lot of things I think I'm ready for. It's easy to talk tough, but then the wind begins to blow. It's easy to talk tough, but then your doctor calls you. And they need to talk to you now. Can you come in now? Most of you have never had a call like that. Um, I had a doctor call me at 10 p.m. one night to tell me I had cancer and I needed to get back it's the next day because they needed to start treatment as soon as possible. Uh, the Lord brought me through that. If you've never had a call like that, you don't even know how rich you are. If you have your health and your family, you are blessed beyond measure. Joseph is delayed in his destiny, and it is not a place of joy to be delayed in destiny. Let me real quick bring you all up to the same context of the story. Joseph is the favored son of one of the patriarchs, Jacob. You have heard the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is a patriarchal figure in the covenant of hope and grace that was given to the house of Israel and would then be fulfilled through the ministry of Jesus Christ at Calvary, where we all, through the blood of Jesus, are able to be participants in the Passover of judgment. Amen. The blood shields us from judgment. Can I have an amen from church people? You guys could say this yourself, and uh, you just are mad that you don't have the microphone today. I understand. I used to be you. Now it's mine. I'm not giving it back to you. No, I'm teasing. Uh, so here you see this promise that we all are inheritors of. Uh, that's through the covenant gift given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The fourth generation of the covenant is Joseph. And Joseph is a young man who is raised to a place of high status within his family, does not understand why, is blind to the petty jealousies of his brethren. Unfortunately, his father has created a dysfunctional environment where some children are loved more than others. This is always dangerous, and the Bible does not hide us from the sins of the people God has chosen. That should give every one of us hope here today, because none of us are perfect, and yet we're still chosen by God. All of us are far from who we need to be, but the Lord chose, and the Lord empowered, and the Lord forgave you. I want to say thank you for mercy, Lord Jesus. There's no deserving standing in this holy, sacred place today to bring your word to people, but you chose me, and I'm honored, and I'm thankful today. Would you use my humble, in a weak ability, my lowly talent to bring people to a place of spiritual growth and victory in Jesus' name? And so uh, Joseph has been cast into slavery by the very brethren who once played, for, played with him. The very brethren who uh, once would have been the, uh, the pickup teams of, 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 of games that children would play, now they've decided they hate him. Sure, he wasn't very wise. All young people are self-absorbed. How can they not be? Uh, all young people struggle to see themselves. How can they not? They're the center of the whole universe. Amen. They can't even help it. They just, they're coming into whom they will be. Sure, Joseph made mistakes. He doesn't deserve slavery. But God said, if you are going to do what I need you to do, I need you to show me what's in your heart. I need to see what's in your heart because a day will come when all the power of the world's greatest super power is going to be in your hands. 
and you could destroy rather than save. I need to know what's in your heart, Joseph. How do you act when people harm you? Are you a killer or can you have a capacity for grace? Can you forgive? Can you look at the very people who deserve the sword and say, the Lord placed me here that I can be part of the salvation of many people? Joseph would stand before his brethren one day and say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, that he might save many people alive. What's in your heart, Joseph? What's in your heart? You know, it's interesting how even religious people struggle with the uh, corrosive effects and damage of power. If you want to make the church a thing of ugly, ugly uh, moral decisions and choices and self-justifications, give the church too much power. Look at all the stories of history. Whenever the church became that which pursued political power rather than that which pursued spiritual authenticity, you get the ugliest stories of church history where we do the same thing the heathen do. Power is not the answer, else he would have come with 10,000 angels. But he came in a manger. He came as that most helpless entity of being, that most helpless eternal soul, a baby that can't even turn over. And he said, this is grace. And so they killed him because they could. But even in death, he wins. That's another message. Joseph, how are you? Show me what's in your heart, Joseph. Show me who you want to be. I need to see how you will treat others when they do you wrong. Uh, The second great trial of his life is not that trial of his brethren doing malevolence against him, but the great trial is a trial of purity. He has finally found safe harbor. He's finally, uh, how shall we say this, in a better place. He was a slave, but he decided that wherever he was, he would work diligently as though God were with him. And strikingly enough, God was with them, with him. And so he gets favor in the house of Potiphar, and uh, soon everything Potiphar has is blessed. Uh, Soon he rises in the small ecosystem of Potiphar's house. Let me read Genesis 39. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, a man of status. The Lord was with Joseph, so he, he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. If, if there's one lesson to take from this story, it's you can't decide whether or not God is with you on the basis of whether or not you think you are winning. Because by all accounts and uh, presuppositions, Joseph has had nothing but bad things happen to him. But guess what? God is with him. Potiphar noticed this and realized the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. Well, yeah. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put Joseph in charge of his entire household, everything he owned. 
From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord, somebody say the Lord, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. I didn't realize I was blessed. I thought I was cursed, Lord. How can you say I'm blessed? My brothers tried to kill me. They betrayed me. I lost everything. I lost safe harbor. I was sold into the place I never wanted to go. How can you say to me that you will bless others for my sake? Uh, We'll preach about that more next week. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administration, responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, Potiphar didn't have to worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Come on, somebody. All he had to worry about was what's for dinner. That's how my household runs. I just want y'all to know all I have to do is just eat what's put in front of me. Come on, Jesus. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. That's how I met my wife, just so y'all know. I was a very handsome and well-built young man, but then life happened and my chest has fallen down to my drawers. But, and Potiphar's uh, wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come sleep with me, she demanded. Don't you love how the Bible never tries to paint pretty pictures over reality? The Bible will tell you the truth about human nature. Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with air thing. Somebody say air thing. I went to Garinger. I learned how to say that. Uh, trust me with air thing in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. Potiphar has held back nothing from me except you, you crazy woman. You are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? How could I do such a wicked thing? How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. The magic is living as though God is there because God really is there. We tend to make religion about rules, not presence. And then we view God as uh, he enforces the rules through threat. And so we live in a type of, how shall we say this, uh, probationary status, where if we're good, we get good. If we're bad, we get bad. And then we blame God for it. And that's just life. Here's the reality of this situation. Joseph does not say, if I do this, I won't get my destiny. Notice his concern with the heart of God. Notice his concern with not how he can get away with it. He doesn't ask for a theological justification. Well, you know, Lord, I didn't really want to do it, but it was survival. They made me do it. He cares about the fact that how would I live if God were with me? It would be a great sin against God. Have you ever wondered the kind of people that God will lift up into status? Have you ever wondered who God is looking for to bless? Joseph is living his life as if God is with him. He's not looking for a technical way to get by with taking a shortcut. He says it would be a great sin against God. I live my life as though God is with me, not just when I like the blessing. It's easy to live life as though God is with you when you approve of what God is doing. This is the Job problem. Of course Job serves you, God. You've made his way blessed. Of course God serves you. Uh, you have uh, blessed him on every hand. But let's, let's do this heart test. Let's take away all his blessings. Let's take away the cushy feather bed of his life. And let's let... 
pain, despair, loss, and tragedy touch him. And then we're going to see what is in his heart, Lord. And so we know the story. The hedge is removed. And what happens? Satan touches the life of uh, Job. And Satan always destroys. He's come that he would steal, kill, and destroy. And so it is that the question is asked and answered in the oldest written book. The first book to be written down actually was not uh, Genesis. That was written later by Moses. The the first book to be written down is the book of Job. It's the question of why will you serve God? Do you really care about pleasing God? Or are you looking for a technical justification to do what you need to do and retain a sense of inner self-justification no matter what. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Verse 10, crazy woman kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak demanding, come sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. This is the second coat that Joseph loses in his testimonial story. And it's the second coat in this this narrative filled with spiritual meaning and purpose. It's the second coat that that he will lose. And it shows something about him. It shows a heart for purity. It's very easy for us to negotiate with God. If you give me a winning lottery ticket, I'll give you half. And the Lord says, oh man, no one's ever made this deal with me before. I'm just so shocked. Let me run right down and get you that winning lottery ticket because no one's ever thought of that before. Um, we have this blessing, uh, bless me, I bless you relationship. This is not, this is not real. This is not to celebrate presence in your life. This is not to live as though the most important thing in your life is your relationship with your creator. In other words, even though we are religious, that does not always equal uh, a life of spiritual one at one with God. It does not always necessarily mean that on Tuesday of this coming week, I decide to do the right thing because how could I sin against God who has done so many good things for me? I can pop my neck on Sunday. I know I've been doing it since I was a whippersnapper. But let me tell you something. On Wednesday, I might have an opportunity to decide, and I have to decide who I want to be, and you have to decide who you want to be, because it is the heart that is revealed to God. Uh, There is many called, few chosen. I think we usually misunderstand that in some way because we have to take words that are originally given in Aramaic and put them into English. And so sometimes we wrestle with that. But if there's one takeaway, it is this. There is more than God's call to humanity. There is the heart of humanity who responds to the call of God. There cannot simply be possibility in heaven. There must be something in our heart that craves God's will and craves God's way and craves God's blessing. There is not just heaven's purpose or heaven's call. There is an invitation to earth. A voice came from heaven. Who shall we send? 
And the prophet says, here I am. Send me. There is this call response. Uh, let me, I, I was, I was uh, one of the, let me just be real honest here today. Uh, some of our young people are in here, and I don't mean to pick on you guys. I love you, but I, I just want to, I, I want to say this. One of the great tragedies, um, no, let me say it differently. Scratch that word. One of the great fears of being a Christian parent is the fear that maybe perhaps your children will not fall in love with the, uh, God the way you fell in love with God. And it's a, it's a real fear. Uh, many of you uh, know what it is to have children who decide church is not for them. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying they're forever lost. I don't believe they're forever lost. I believe God is working. Can I have a big amen? And where there's life, there's hope. And even after death, they're in the hands of one who loved them more than we do. So let's, let's not throw our faith away. But it's terrifying to think, uh, and I see some of you parents do it, and uh, I, I do it myself. You know, you watch your children when the Spirit's moving, and you hope they feel it too. You can't give them that. You can guilt them into it, but I promise you that's only going to work for a little while. You can beat them up over it. It's only going to work for a little while. And so we, as parents, we call on the name of the Lord and we feel the spirit moving and we look over and we hope our kids are feeling it too. What are you going to do? Beat them into it? Guilt them into it? That's healthy religion. So the, the one thing that we realize is that they have the right to choose. They get to decide whether or not the body of Christ fits their needs or whether or not they're superior. This is the heart of someone who grows up in the church. Come on, let's be real here. But here's the reality. If our children, as painful as it is to say it, if, if they grow up without a hunger, there's going to be people with a hunger. And the Lord will find those people. Joseph, who do you want to be? Do you want destiny and dreams as long as it doesn't cost you much? Or can you live as though, how could I sin against God? He's walking with me. He's promised me his word, his power, his presence. How could I, how could I live without thinking of God with me? Who do you want to be? Uh, the uh, rather uh, famous, celebrated psychotherapist of a few years back happened to be a Jewish psychiatrist, and he lived in Austria and was taken by the Nazis, and he founded his place in spite of his worldwide celebration of technical ability and medical genius. Uh, he found himself in a concentration camp, Auschwitz particularly, and there he observed the evil that humanity can do to itself. And he would come out of that experience and write a book entitled Man's Search for Meeting by Viktor Frankl. If you haven't read it, please read it. It's available on audiobook. You can read it, listen to it on the way to work. Uh, you can get, do like I do and go to sleep every night listening to something um, and listen to the book. I'm going to read you a quote from this. This is a man fresh from the tragedy of Auschwitz, fresh from the tragic blood-splattered gas 
and uh, death, ovens, hideous. The, the closest thing to hell we can do. And um, he would come out and write this, the last of human freedoms. This is your last human freedom. To choose your attitude in any given set of circumstance. To choose one's own way. And there are always choices to make. Every day, every hour. Offered the opportunity, talking about people in Auschwitz. Every day, every hour, offered the opportunity to make a decision. A decision to be... which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threatened to rob you of your very self, your inner freedom. What are you talking about? These powers which determined whether or not you would become a plaything to circumstance, renouncing freedom and dignity. The last human freedom is to decide who you will be inside in the face of impossible circumstances outside. The power to choose your response in life circumstances, which ultimately defines our experience of freedom or bondage. According to Frankel, even in the most oppressive situations like Auschwitz, the human spirit retains the ability to decide its attitude and thereby assert inner liberty. Frankel empowers us to recognize that the last of human freedoms is always available if you are willing to seize it. What is it? The freedom to define yourself through your chosen attitude. Joseph, you know what it is to be traded into slavery by your brethren. Joseph, you know what it is to fall from favored status to the status of a slave. You know what it is to to show up in a household at the lowest point of the totem pole and this time to earn your position. Before it was given to you, now you have to earn it. And you give your best to every situation. You work your hardest to every situation. And you rise in favor. God is with you even in your despair. Even in your distress, God is with you. You finally rise. And then to be pure, to show God your heart, to show heaven the kind of person you want to be, to define yourself as though God is with you every day. You fall again and you give up this cloak, the second cloak that you earned. It wasn't given to you by your father. It's torn from you by circumstances, by temptation, by lust, by every self-justification that what you should do as a slave is just try to make everybody happy and thus feather your own bed, so to speak, with safety and comfort. And Joseph flies in the face of that and says, how could I do that when God is with me? If God wasn't with me, it makes total sense to live through a type of brutal calculus. If God isn't with me, it makes sense to rationalize, justify, and self-excuse my bad decisions. But if God is really with me, it's about to cost me something to be the kind of person that he wants me to be. Look at this from Joseph's perspective, guys. Look at this from Joseph's perspective. If I do this, God won't be with me. If I don't do this, she probably will punish me, lie about me, have me cast into prison. But if I'm in prison with God, isn't that better than being here in a safe place without God? This is the calculus of the believer right here. I would rather be in the hospital with God on my side than in the fat house all by myself. I would rather be poor with heaven's blessing than rich with no favor from above. Joseph, would you rather be God's man in prison or your own man 
popped out at the level of Potiphar's house. Would you like to be topped out at what you have? Or would you like to show God, I would rather be lied about and please you than just go along to get along and keep what I've got. Joseph is living with an audience of one. I'm living my life as though God is with me. And the Bible says God was with him. Almost seems as though there's this element that he can push God out of his life whenever he wants to. Just ignore him, low rate him, judge him, or live as though he is there and watch blessing be the testimony of his presence. Did anyone just hear what I said? Watch favor be the testimony of his presence in your life. And uh, what does Joseph decide? I'd rather be in the prison house with with God on my side than to top out here at Potiphar's house. And so he goes to prison. Uh, Joseph, God isn't looking for who you are uh, when you have a favored status. Um, God wants to know who you are. It's not the same thing. God isn't looking for who you are when you're the favored child. God wants to know who you are when you're betrayed. He doesn't want to know who you are when you're wearing the most expensive garment in the household. He wants to know who you are when you have been cast into prison. This is the question that comes to our lives every day. Who do I want to be? Do I want to live as though I am a child of spiritual destiny? Or do I just want to figure a way to get through this life as easy as possible? It feels so absurd, my brothers and my sisters, as a modern-minded person to live as though God God's hand is upon you, but that is exactly what you are called to do as you have been spoken over by scripture as the very ambassador of God. It feels absurd beyond nature to live your life as though God's hand is upon you. It feels silly beyond reasoning to live your life and walk into your workplace and before you walk in, say, God, I know you're with me today. I want to represent you here today. I want favor that you would give me. I don't need favor at any cost. No, I want the favor you would give me. I don't need success at any cost. I want the success you would give me. It feels absurd beyond reasoning to live your life as though there is a spiritual dream that's been given to you. To live your life as though the promises of God are upon it. To live your life as though the anointing of God is upon it. But my brother, my sister, that is exactly what you have been invited to do because he has filled you with his Holy Spirit and he has sealed you with the promise of God. You are, come on somebody, you are challenged to walk differently. Not like you're perfect. That's the Pharisee walk. Don't walk like that. Walk like you're promised. God has given me a promise. I'm walking as though I have a purpose here. I was not placed by accident in the hand of this moment, in the hand of my accuser. It is all being worked out according to God's will. Oh, I wish I'd have got a better amen from this side of the church over here. I'm going to have to preach over here to them because y'all are treating me bad. Y'all don't be mean to me. Walk as if God's hand is upon you and celebrate the day. I am not a nobody. I am not stuck down here. You have promised to be with me. A very present help. Joseph, who do you want to be? Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, for this testimony of Joseph, 
in this circumstance, it is the testimony of purity. Purity matters. It's super important. Uh, purity is more than just transgression. I want to be clear about. Uh, purity is also what is in your heart. Let me give you some examples of this. Um, first of all, the Sermon on the Mount where you can follow the rules but have an unpure heart, an impure heart. You can uh, not commit technical adultery, but in, in your heart, the Lord says you're in the same place because the Lord does not judge as humanity judges. We judge people by their appearance. We judge people by the car you drive. We judge people by your clothes, your shoes, your jewelry, etc. and etc. It's not how God looks. God looks at the heart. God does not see people as rich, poor based on bank accounts. God is not impressed by anybody's bank account. He sees your intention. He sees your heart. He doesn't even judge you on the kind of life you have lived. God doesn't have a running count of how many partners you've been with. That misses the point. Who do you want to be? Let me show you this in the scripture. Um, Yes, purity is important, but why was Jesus so lenient on the woman caught in adultery? I mean, he technically was the one able to judge her, and he chooses not to. Not only that, he does it publicly, so it's written down, and he does it in front of the Pharisee crowd because he already knows they hate him. What, he has to lose with, what does he have to lose with them? He is intentionally lenient when, watch, the Pharisees are actually right. The law of Moses did say. Yes. Now, in the Roman system, they didn't have the right to do it. The Romans had the government. They didn't have the right to do it. Um, uh, It's why when they went to kill Jesus, they had to get permission from the Romans. Um, But the point is this. Why is Jesus so lenient with the woman caught in adultery? Uh, Let me take this further. Um, There's more than just sin. There's a solution to sin. There's the question of the heart. Who do you want to be? There are people who have never had a chance in life. They were abused early. They, were, they, they never had a stinking chest, a chance in their life. And yes, their life is a mess, but in their hearts, this craving for God. Yes. yes, they've made every mistake there was to make. If you had lived through what they lived through, you would have made a few mistakes yourself, probably just two or three times more than them. You would have made every mistake, but in their heart, they want to be right with God. God is close to the center on his or her knees saying, God, I would love to know you. I, I want to please you. Would you help me? See the sinner smite himself on his breast and say, woe is me. While the Pharisee says, thank God I'm not like him. Thank God I'm not like her. The heart is the issue that's happening here. Uh, Let's take this further than just the woman. And Jesus is a stunning, astonishing, in the face of the law, leniency on her. Um, Jesus is anointed. Let me real quick. When when a lamb is selected, when a lamb is selected, and I don't have time to nerd out on this. You guys know. uh, You gripe at me later when I nerd out on stuff. But let me just, real quick. When a lamb is selected, the the lamb is anointed twice. The lamb is anointed on the second day by the Jewish household, and its feet are anointed. And on the sixth day, it's anointed. Its head is anointed. And the first one is a, we will live with you to see that you are pure. And they, in those days, before the Passover, they inspect it, and they they look for any blemish, and if they decide on the sixth day that the lamb is pure, then they anoint the head. Uh, seemingly in the Bible, there's two different anointings of Jesus. There's one in, um, in, in Bethany, Mary of Bethany, not Mary Magdalene, and uh, we don't have an exact timeline, but it seems to be this case. His feet are anointed. His feet are anointed, and uh, this is Mary of Bethany, and Luke tells us about Mary of Bethany, and Mary of Bethany is literally... <laughs> Um, the Bible says uh, a woman of unclean life. And uh, 
Luke, this is code language in Aramaic for she was, she was a, a harlot. So let's, let's, if, if he is anointed twice, which that seems to be the case from the reading of the text, um, and the second anointing is Mary Magdalene or uh, one of the Marys in, in, in Jerusalem. However that plays out, it could go either way. But in at least one case, Jesus is anointed for death by a prostitute. Um, here's the deal. Yes, she's a prostitute. But God doesn't just see her in sin. He sees her on her knees weeping, washing his feet with what she has most value. Not everybody wants the life they're trapped in. And God is here to set you free from the bondage of your life. Oh, I wish I had a better amen in this house than that. I wish someone would stand up right now and say, thank you for freedom, oh God. Not everybody wants to be in the prison they're living in. I've come to preach freedom to the captive. Oh, put your hands together right now. Give God a hand clap of praise and thanksgiving. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. God bless you. You may be seated. Luke says, this is a quote from Luke, a woman in that town who's lived a sinful life. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. That's code language. Um, just read some ancient literature of the time. Uh, so let's be honest. Religious people, we love purity. Why? Because God commanded us to be pure. Um, but that's hopefully, well, let me say it differently. Um, a lot of times our purity can become a type of self-reassurance. You know, God owes us salvation. Uh, look how good we are. <laughs> look at the rules we follow. I mean, even St. Peter's like, my God, I don't know how you follow all them rules. Um, so, uh, yes, we many times can use purity to create insiders and outsiders. The people who deserve to be in church and the people who don't to be, d- deserve to be in church. Now, the people who, who, who reassure themselves by policing the church, um, I made them miserable years ago and they all left. Okay, so we don't have a real big uh, police culture here at First Church. Forgive me for saying it that way, but we don't have a big police culture and um, I, I, we have plenty of sinners and everybody else does too. We just, we don't demand that you hide it so well. Um, uh, <laughs> um, we'd really like you to, 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 to have this confession culture with God that, that goes like this. Woe is me. I am undone. I, I need mercy in my life. I know I failed this week, but in my heart, I want to please you. Would you help me do better? Would you wash me? Make me whiter than snow, whiter than snow. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And let's be honest, religious people, we love purity. We love purity. We love purity. And uh, I want it to be because that we love God. I want it to be because of that and we live as though God is with us. Uh, but the thing I'm afraid of is a lot of times we use uh, purity to reassure ourselves of our, of our salvation. And um, there's something more important than the technicalities of which sin you didn't uh, or did commit. Because here's the reality. If you've broken any of the law, you've broken all of it. That's right. I know. When's the last time you heard that preached in an old school church? <laughs> Nobody likes that one, you know. We're like, yeah, I had a bad attitude, but you a hooker. You know, that's what people. Um, at, <laughs> Lord, help me. <laughs> Was that bad? <laughs> My wife doesn't approve of that, y'all. I'm sorry. <laughs> Proverbs 6, 32, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Yeah. You see, there's, there's something more important than the technical rule. 
There's something more. It's the problem of the heart. And you can be following all the rules and have a heart that's not close to God. You can have adultery in your heart. You can have the problem of of the heart. And what, watch this. I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come and play something about how, just write a song about something about how, yeah, I had a bad attitude, but you a hooker. That'll be a good song right there uh, for religious people to sing. Um, Now I'm really in trouble. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. Um, uh, Let me say it this way. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. If the heart is the issue, this is the truth, the spiritual truth. Who I want to be is actually more important than who I am. (laughs) Elbow your neighbor. Say who you want to be is more important than who you actually are. You are a creature in time. And your intentions are taking you somewhere. This is why you repent and confess. You confess with the mouth. My salvation is not of me, it's in you. My heart is taking me somewhere. You're a creature in time. God is not a creature in time. Time is in God. And so when God looks at you, he does not look at you in the moment. He looks at you in time. And the way you can tell God of who you can be out of time is to keep getting up and repenting and repenting and repenting and repenting and get yourself up, dust yourself off, and start all over again. So let me declare something about the church here. Let me declare something about the Let me declare something about the church. We, in many ways, function like a 12-step program. It goes like this. I don't care if this is your 365th day of sobriety or if you had a really bad or good, depending on how the light went, night, and you blew it all last night, if this is your first day and you're back in here and you say, Lord, I've got to start back over again. I've blown it again. Whatever it takes for you to repent and start over, I ask you to do it. Why? Who you want to be is more important than who you actually are. God is going to work a work in you. You feel like you're not making progress, but I've come to tell you, God's working on you. You're stronger tomorrow than you were yesterday. You're more able to turn away from temptation tomorrow than you were yesterday. Don't give up on tomorrow because last week was so ugly. Y'all gonna make me preach. Preach playing like that. Uh, Hear me. Why can I say who you want to be is more important than who you are? I want you to lean over to your neighbor. I want you to get your grandma finger. I want you to point at him like this. I want you to say, Calvary makes a difference. Calvary makes, who I want to be is more important than who I am. Jesus, remember me in paradise. And the Lord says, today you will be with me because Calvary changes everything. All right, so two elements to the story of Joseph. And I'm going to quit. 
let's say you have passed the test of righteousness in your life and you shook off that cloak of Potiphar's house and you ran from temptation. I want to say, I want to speak blessings upon you because you have shown God who you want to be. You have made a decision. You have demonstrated to heaven that you're going to live your life as though God is with you. And if you are that kind of unique individual, I cannot wait to see what God will do with your life. If those of you who are willing to choose in the face of temptation, I cannot wait to see what God will make of your life. There is no reason why God cannot move mountains with you. You are showing, I'm not just here for loaves and fishes. You can throw me in prison, but as long as Jesus is with me, it's okay. There is no reason why you can't make a difference in the kingdom of God. I speak God's blessing over you. But now let's talk about the human condition. Not everybody has that moment by moment victory and you fall. Sometimes you're not the one running from temptation. You're the one trying to rip the clothes off their back. Come on, somebody. Why should you repent and get back to living as though God were with you? Why should you bow your knee at Calvary? Because, and this is why, because as long as you can show God who I want to be is more important than who I've been. As long as you can show intention, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. As long as you can bow your knee in an altar and say, whiter than snow, whiter than snow, wash me and I. Oh, let's not even try to sing that one. As long as you can say, wash me, cleanse me. Destiny still beckons you. Purpose still calls to you. Show God your past is not a prison to your future. Show God, I will wash, I will cleanse, I will repent, I will call upon your name. Get back to that place of right living. Get back to that place of seeking after the things of God. Repent, yes, somebody say repent. Repent, call upon the name of the Lord. Stand with me all across the house. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.